0: Well, not long ago, I signed up online for a, for a subscription for a new online community that was run by an entrepreneur and, and blogger that I follow, and it looked like something worthwhile to give a try. Um, but after the free trial was over, I determined that That Though it was interesting that in this season of life, I I really wouldn't have the time to take advantage of what it had to offer, and so it wouldn't be worth paying for a continued subscription. And so I, I, I went on to the account, and I began looking for that unsubscribe link, which can be elusive sometimes. And after looking for, for a time, I finally found a, a, a link in the drop-down that said delete account. And I thought, okay, maybe I've found it here. And so I clicked on delete account and, and then I tried to log back in and, and couldn't log in. I thought perhaps I've done it. Well, the next day I received an email saying that my credit card had been charged for the renewal amount. And that my account was still active. Not Completely surprised and more than a little frustrated, I responded to that email saying that I had wanted to unsubscribe from this account, that I deleted the account, thinking that would do the trick and hit send on that email, thinking two things. One, there's no way that this email is going through and not getting bounced back as a no-reply email address. Second, was that if it does somehow by some miracle go through, I fully expected to receive a response, something to the effect of, well, they're sorry, they're Policy states that I needed to unsubscribe by a certain date. There's nothing they can do, and they would at very best send me a link to unsubscribe for the next round of payment. By your laughter, my guess is that some of you in here can identify with that experience, whether it be online or in some other venue, So often we feel like we've got to save the receipt, that we've got to read the fine print, we've got to look out for our own best interests so we don't get taken advantage of, so we don't get tricked. Well, in our passage today from the gospel, Jesus is continuing in his interaction with the leaders in the temple. And we've been following these interactions over the last number of weeks. Here is Jesus is in the temple. He's telling these these challenging stories and, and more than ruffling the feathers of these temple leaders. And in our passage today, and what has happened in the preceding pericopes, is that the temple leaders have begun asking these trick questions trying to trip Jesus up. First, one of the Pharisees asks this question about taxation, and then one of the Sadducees asks a question about resurrection. And then in today's text, we find a lawyer. And this lawyer is asking Jesus a question about the law. I invite you to open up your Bibles or the Bibles that you've brought with you from home, your mobile devices, to Matthew chapter 22, We'll begin reading at verse 34. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them this question, What do you think of the Messiah? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. And Jesus said to them, well, how is it then that David, by the Spirit, calls him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet? If David thus calls him Lord, how can he be his son? Well, no one was able to give him an answer, and nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, the second half of today's passage, from verse 41 on, deals with Jesus' claims to be the Son of God. It's all about who Jesus says he is. And, And we're going to set that aside for today. And we're going to focus on verses 34 through 40, this interaction that Jesus has with the lawyer. As I mentioned, the lawyer approaches this question looking to trick Jesus. Everything about the context reveals this. This is not a a sincere question that the lawyer comes to him with. Former president of Austin Presbyterian Theological Seminary, Ted Wardlaw, in a commentary on this passage, asks the question, what if, what if this lawyer had come to the question honestly? Honestly? What might that interaction have looked like? Not in an attempt to to trick or to trap Jesus, but but rather with this deep sense of yearning to understand, Jesus, what is the most important commandment? Jesus, what does God want from me? What is the difference between these two approaches? This this first approach that, that is on the one hand sort of legalistic and cynical versus the second this sincere desire to understand to be fair in the lawyer's mind Jesus is a charlatan Jesus is a pretender The lawyer has seen these kinds of people before. The way that this lawyer interacts with Jesus is not so much about Jesus as it is about the lawyer's past experiences, about the lawyer's experience of the world, about the lawyer's brokenness, and the story that the lawyer brings to the table. And that's not so dissimilar from the way that we often approach Scripture. We bring with our approach our own baggage, our own brokenness, all of the stories of how we have been cheated and treated before and project it onto the text. But what if we could approach Scripture instead of in a cynical, legalistic way, but rather, Jesus, what is it that You want? Me, God, what do you want from my life? Instead of, God, what is it you want from my life? There is this distinct difference in the two approaches. Are we afraid of what the answer might be? And maybe some amount of trepidation is warranted because it turns out that the answer is in fact that we are called to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. You know, this is a passage that, that I think almost suffers from semantic satiation. That is the phenomenon that when you say a word so many times out loud that it stops holding meaning. Have you ever experienced that, where just the word just stops sounding like the word? Particularly for those who, who have grown up in the church, who have, who have been Christians for so many years. We've heard this text again and again, and I believe that the weight of it begins to get lost as we hear it over and over again. The most important commandment, to love the Lord with everything that we have and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Here Jesus says everything hangs on this. The Greek word there literally translates as, as dangles from. It provokes an image of, of these two pegs of loving God with everything we have and loving neighbor and that everything else hangs from these two. Lord. What do you want from me? God responds, I want you to love me with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Friends, this commandment, this commandment to love like this, to live like this, is a call To give ourselves away to God and to the community around us. And foundational to this is the discipline of generosity that we have been talking about for these last number of weeks. And I would argue it's a discipline that our cynicism, based on life experience, a discipline that our relative cynicism can prevent us from being open to and engaging in. Is that you? You Scripture tells us that where our treasure is, so our heart will be also. You see, God calls us to this discipline of generosity not because God wants our money, but because God wants us. Our hearts. And what's true is that our stuff has the power to take hold of us if we will let it. But when we approach this giving question, this giving conversation, cynically and legalistically, we stand to miss the point, and it prevents us from understanding that a discipline of generosity what a discipline of generosity may begin to do in us and what it can unlock for us. Amy and I have been blessed by engaging in a discipline of giving. It's something that's changed our relationship with things and deepened our understanding that God Will provide. I enjoy this topic of stewardship because of how it's changed my life. And, and I've spoken with some of you one-on-one before about this, but never, never on this platform. Amy and I made the decision when we were first married that we would tithe our income. That is, that, that we would give it at least 10% of what we made away. Now, I understand, I understand that if you've not engaged in that discipline before, that sounds crazy, but so does waking up at 5 a.m. to go running if you've never done that before. And none of us would argue here what a discipline of regular exercise can bring to our lives. And we don't necessarily give all of that to the church as AJ was sharing. There are other organizations that we support and other ways that, that we are like to be generous with what God has given us. But friends, I can tell you standing here today, there is a freedom that we have experienced because of this discipline. And for that reason, I love talking about it. Because a discipline of generosity fundamentally changes something within us. And the reality is, we can't be accidentally generous. We have to plan. And and it's at the bottom of why, as pastors and as church leaders, we are encouraging one another to participate In this estimate of giving, it's about intentionally building a habit of generosity. And so if you've never filled out an estimate of giving before, I encourage you to do that. And if you have already, then thank you for being on this journey with us. And yes, practically speaking, this certainly helps your church leaders to plan, to be able to know what we might expect. But more than anything, what we are wanting is for you to grow in the discipline of generosity. I can tell you, it's not about the amount, and it's not about money. If you listened to the sermon sneak peek this week, I actually shared that story at the beginning of the sermon, and, and so you may already know how that story ends. So much to my surprise, after trying to cancel that subscription and, and responding to the email saying, hey, you didn't cancel it for me, I received a short reply the next day from the owner of the company. It was typed in all lowercase, um, no punctuation, just three short phrases. Sorry for the hassle. Cancelled and refunded. Thanks for giving it a try. Sorry for the hassle. Cancelled and refunded. Thanks for giving it a try. almost signed back up. (laughs) I mean, just to be partnered with an organization like this that was obviously so focused on their mission that it was never about the money. And friends, neither is this conversation about generosity. It's not about the money. It's about what giving ourselves away unlocks within us, allowing us, preparing us, enabling us, to love God with all our heart, with all our soul and all our mind, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.